please, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. When Catherine was pregnant with Kuiper, we had to go to regular doctor's appointments every week. And in the waiting room of that clinic, they always showed the HGTV channel. This channel usually featured home improvement shows where where somebody would, would come in and radically change the inside of a house or someone would just create a brand new home. Well, I know that sometimes those programs will show a a poor family who has a very messed up home and the the people will come in and and their house will be transformed or they will build them a, a brand new house and give it to them free of charge. And those shows would always end with the poor family getting brought into the new house and they would always be so excited so joyful, so thankful for what had been given to them. But imagine if one of those poor families came into the brand new home that was just created for them and just said, nah, I don't like it. And they went back to their messed up home. Or imagine that the family wanted to stay in the brand new home, but they showed no appreciation for the blessing that had been given to them. They took the house, but they had no gratitude, no thankfulness. Well, in our passage today, we are going to look at some divine blessings, some gifts that God has graciously given to mankind. But like our imaginary scenario with the new house, some people in this life don't want to enjoy the gifts God has given, and many others are completely ungrateful toward the God who has given us these gifts. But today we will not only examine some key blessings that God has given to mankind, but we're going to be pushed to rejoice in those blessings, to obey those blessings, And to be thankful. So please look with me at Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, as we learn to give thanks and obey God's blessings. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply 
in it. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for its sufficiency to change us. I ask the Lord God that we would be changed today, that we would not only be changed to obey these things that we see here, but that we would be changed to rejoice more and be more thankful for all the things that you have graciously blessed us with. We thank you for your Son, and in his name we pray. Amen. If you want to better follow along, there's an outline of our sermon on the back of your bulletin. Genesis is a book of beginnings. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 show us the beginning of the world, the start of God's perfect and good creation. Chapter 3 shows mankind's fall into sin, the the consequences the world has received because of that sin, and the first promise of a future deliverer. Chapters 4 and 5 give us snapshots of how sinful and wicked mankind has become, show us that sin and death has spread to all mankind, and show us that there are some who begin to follow God and faithfully depend on Him. In chapters 6 through 8, we see the story of Noah and the flood, where mankind has become so sinful that God wipes out everyone with water, everyone except Noah's family, because Noah had faith in God. And at the end of Genesis chapter 8, on through chapter 9, we see God's decision to show mankind more grace, and to grant them great promises, and to give them great blessings. And today we're going to walk through six blessings God gave to mankind. Six blessings God gave to mankind. And we start with number one, procreation. Procreation. Genesis chapter 9 verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God, excuse me, getting blessed by God is getting God's favor. When God blesses someone, he is causing them to to prosper in some way. And here it says God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, meaning God was about to communicate to them what blessing they had received. God was about to tell them what they were going to experience, how they were going to experience God's divine favor. And the first blessing they received was being able to have babies. The end of verse 1 says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's blessing involved the multiplication of humans. God gave them the ability to reproduce, to procreate. We see God giving this exact same blessing back in Genesis chapter 1 where God blessed Adam and Eve with the gift of being able to have children. And here in Genesis 9, God makes it clear that He's not done with the human race. Mankind was indeed sinful and God wiped out much of mankind through the flood, but God not only saved Noah's family on the ark, but He promised that they would be able to reproduce mankind would continue on the earth and would thrive and grow 
in number. Now, this would have been a great encouragement to Noah and his family as it showed that God had a plan for mankind, that there was still a future for humans. It also meant that God's promise in Genesis chapter 3 that he would send them a Savior was a promise that could still be trusted. That promise that was fulfilled when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to earth through a human birth was made possible because God allowed mankind to continue to reproduce. Jesus, who died to pay for our sins, dying in our place, who rose from the dead and defeated death and the devil, made a way of salvation for all who repent and trust in Him. That deliverer accomplished His mission Because God blessed mankind, letting them procreate and increase on the earth. And that blessing of procreation is something that mankind still enjoys. Psalm 127 calls children a gift from God. And those who have had children know the amazing present that God has been willing to give them. Kids are indeed inconvenient Difficult, painful, and sometimes very expensive. But they are also a divine blessing from God and are one of the things that can bring us the most joy in this life. When you hold your your newborn girl, wrestle around with your boys, take your son out fishing, watch your teenage daughter play basketball, make snow angels and snowmen with your kids or laugh with your children while watching cartoons. When you see your adult daughter walk down the aisle to get married, hang out with your son and grandson on the back porch, experience the the friendship of your kids as they grow from babies to toddlers to young children to teens and then to adults. When you have kids, the difficulties and pains are real, but the amazing joys are real as well. Your children are gifts from God. And one of the greatest blessings that God has given us in this messed up world. So, we should rejoice in those gifts and we should all thank God for the blessing of procreation. Moving on to our next blessing, number two, prominence, prominence. Genesis chapter 9 verse 2 says, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. From the very beginning of creation, God made it clear that humans and animals were radically different creatures. Genesis 1 verse 26 said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. 
Mankind being made in the image and likeness of God means that mankind was made with some similarity to God. Mankind uniquely represents God. You see that in the verse that I just read and what follows in Genesis as God makes mankind the rulers over the animals just as God rules over all creation. And in Genesis... And throughout the Bible, we see that being made in God's image means that humans are not only God's representatives to rule over creation on earth, but they have complex intellects and and creative abilities. They have the ability to communicate in depth and can have deep personal relationships. They are moral beings. They are eternal spiritual beings. This puts humans in a completely different category than animals. And God made that crystal clear when he said that mankind would rule over all other creatures. But when mankind sinned and death and chaos spread throughout the world, man's relationships with animals was also affected like everything else. Lions and Tigers and bears were no longer friendly towards humans. But to make sure that humans would still have dominion over the animals, would still rule them, God caused the other creatures to be afraid of mankind. Again, Genesis chapter 9, verse 2, God said to mankind, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, And upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. As this verse makes clear, whether on land, whether in the air, whether in the sea, all the creatures on the planet have been given a natural fear of humans. Now, this does not mean that animals will never harm humans. In fact, in verse 5 of Genesis 9, we see God laid out the death penalty for animals who kill a human, which shows that animals will still sometimes hurt members of mankind. But animals have an instinctive fear of mankind. No animal species seeks to conquer and wipe out the human race, and most animals will avoid conflict with humans unless humans come onto their path. Animals may harm some humans, but they are not a major threat to mankind because they have been given a fear of mankind. Mankind is at the top of the food chain across the globe because animals fear man. God gave animals this fear, and God gave humans control over the animal kingdom. God said at the end of verse 2, Into your hand they are delivered. Animals have been given over to mankind. Now, now this does not mean that humans should be cruel to animals. Proverbs 12.10 and Proverbs 27.26 make clear that humans should not treat animals horribly. But animals being delivered into the hands of mankind does mean that mankind can use animals for their purposes. Now, it would be terribly wrong for someone to forcibly take another human and have them live in their house as their pet or have them work in their farm for free. 
But it is not wrong for you to have a pet dog or for you to use a horse for work. Mankind has been given dominion over all other creatures. Humans have been given prominence. It is a major blessing that you and I are not taking marching orders from, from squirrels and chickens. It is a major blessing that we don't have to fear an uprising of cheetahs or chihuahuas. And it is a major blessing for some of you to have pet dogs and cats and for mankind to benefit from the labor of horses and cattle. And in response to this, we should take our responsibility as rulers over the, over the animal kingdom seriously. And we should rejoice and give thanks to God that he has blessed us with prominence over all the other creatures. Not only are we to rule over animals, but God blesses us with the privilege of eating them. Which brings us to our next point, to number three, provision. Provision. <clears throat> In Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Everything that lives shall be food for you, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. At the beginning of all creation... Mankind were vegetarians. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 29 through 30, God said to man, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Mankind and animals were once on an exclusively vegetarian diet. God provided food for his creatures by giving them the plants of the ground. Because there was no sin at the beginning, there was no death at the beginning. But after mankind's fall into sin, the whole world was affected and death among humans and animals began to occur. And although man's fall into sin was a horrible thing, God was gracious to mankind. And after animals began to die, God made it clear that humans would now be blessed with the ability and the right to eat those animals. Again, Genesis 9 verse 3, God said to mankind, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. <clears throat> Just like God gave mankind all plants to eat, God now granted mankind all the animals to eat. As the text says, every moving thing that lives was now food for mankind. Whether chickens or lizards, cows or dogs, turkeys, pigs, lions, everything that lives was now food for mankind. It is a divine blessing from above, to be able to eat meat. That big, double-stack, beefy hamburger with cheese, those chili cheese hot dogs, that chicken burrito from Chipotle, that slow-cooked steak from your grill, those strips of bacon in the morning. All of those are gifts from God. Making me kind of hungry talking about it right now. 
But they are gifts and a part of God's blessing for all mankind. Which of course means that it is not wrong to eat animals. Eating meat was authorized by the Creator Himself. Which means that organizations like PETA, which condemn eating animals and say it is morally evil to eat scrambled eggs and bacon for breakfast, animal rights organizations like that are going directly against what God has said in His Word. No one is required to eat meat, but meat was given as a blessing to mankind. Which means that it's okay for the Audis or the Halls to raise cattle to be sold for meat. It's okay for the Reddins to raise chickens to eat. And it's okay for you to go to McDonald's and enjoy a Big Mac. God has given mankind a massive array of different kinds of foods to enjoy while we live on this earth. And we should all rejoice in those diverse and tasty food options and to be thankful to God for providing for us ample provisions to eat. But there is something in animals that we are not allowed to eat. And that leads us to our next point, number four, prohibition. Prohibition. Genesis 9, verse 4 says, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Now this seems like a rather odd blessing, and a rather odd command. But remember, this is given in the middle of all these other blessings that are universal to people of all time. And so we should accept this one as universal and still binding on us today. But the question is, why this blessing? Again, verse 4 says, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. The blood of an animal represents its life. To quote John MacArthur, blood carries life-sustaining elements to all parts of the body. Therefore, it represents the essence of life. And blood was, was, from animals was used in the Old Testament sacrificial system to atone for sins, to symbolically cover sins, to appease God's anger against sin and so bring forgiveness. The blood showed that the life of the animal was being substituted in the place of others. In other words, the blood being shed by the animal in a sacrifice showed that the animal was losing its life so that someone else could live. The animal was dying in the place of someone else. We see this in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For God says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So blood represents the life of the creature, and God gave these blood sacrifices to mankind to use as a way to make atonement for their sins as a way to symbolically have themselves spiritually covered and forgiven. 
The blood of an animal appeased the wrath of God as a life was being sacrificed to take the punishment for someone else. In fact, Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Blood sacrifice was necessary to atone for sins. But of course, if you look in Hebrews chapter 10, it makes clear that it is impossible for the blood of animals to ultimately and eternally deal with our sins. The animal sacrifices were necessary, but they were insufficient. They pointed towards the ultimate sacrifice where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shed His blood where Jesus would give His life to pay the penalty for our sins. Matthew 26, 28 says that Jesus' blood was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now I mention all of this to help us understand why God commanded mankind for all ages to avoid eating animal blood. Blood is sacred as it represents the life of a creature, a life created by God. Although man was allowed to kill and eat animals, the rule to not eat their blood would remind them that the life was still from God and would remind them that a sacrifice of that sacred blood was the only way their sins could be dealt with and forgiven. The prohibition against eating the blood of animals reminds us that God is the sole giver of life and God gives atonement through a blood sacrifice. Let me say that one again. The prohibition against eating the blood of animals reminds us that God is the sole giver of life and God gives atonement through a blood sacrifice. The prohibition is a continual reminder for us that God is the life giver, that God is the Savior. And that is a blessing that we should rejoice in and be thankful for. Moving on to our fifth blessing God gave to mankind, number five, punishment. Punishment. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, it says, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Murdering another human being is a really big deal. If someone takes the life of another, the consequences are severe. The beginning of verse 5 says, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. That word require in the original Hebrew is a judicial term that can be a demand for vengeance. Which is why the ESV Bible translates the phrase, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. There's going to be a reckoning. 
meaning people are going to be held accountable if they take someone else's life. As you see at the end of verse 5, God will require your very life for the life of man. Meaning if you take someone else's life, yours will be taken from you. Verse 5 makes it clear that this judgment applies to both beast and man. If an animal kills someone, they are to lose their life. And if a human murders someone, they are to lose their life as well. And this just, just judgment of God is to be carried out by man. Verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Remember, blood represents life. And verse 5 was clearly talking about a person's life. So when it says in verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, it is talking about what should happen if someone deliberately takes someone else's life. And it says that if someone sheds someone's blood, if they take someone else's life, then man should take the life of that murderer. In other words, God is calling for the death penalty for murder. God is establishing capital punishment. Now, if you look throughout the Old and New Testaments, you will see that God is not calling for a, a vigilante justice where any human being can act as judge, jury, and executioner for murderers. Personal vengeance is never allowed by God. Let me say that again. Personal vengeance is never allowed by God. The Bible makes clear that it is the government who has the responsibility to carry out the death sentence on murderers. Fair, unbiased, and orderly criminal trials where evidence is presented and witnesses give their testimony and the government carries out the punishment is something that is fully endorsed and required by the Scriptures. Those accused of an unjustified killing should be tried and sentenced by the government. Now, there is obviously some justified killing of humans as God commands humans to execute murderers. But those who murder, those who have no justification for taking a human life, are to be killed according to God. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Now you may be wondering, why such a severe punishment? Well, God tells us why at the end of verse 6. He says, for God made man in his own image. <clears throat> the reason why wrongfully taking someone's life is to be punished by death is because humans are made in God's image. Humans uniquely represent God. Therefore, every human life has dignity, has value, has worth. Unlike animals, humans are moral beings who God put up as rulers of this world, and humans have souls that are going to last forever. Murdering a human 
is killing an image bearer of God. And for that, God established the death penalty. Since human life is so valuable to God, since they are God's image bearers, the penalty for wrongfully killing human life is severe. And the death penalty for murder, capital punishment is something that is affirmed throughout the rest of the Bible. In the Mosaic Law, God said in Leviticus 24.17 that whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. This was affirmed by our Lord Jesus in Matthew 26.52 where he rebuked Peter for trying to kill a man saying all who take the sword will perish by the sword. In other words, if you unjustly kill, you will be killed. The death penalty was also affirmed by the Apostle Paul in the book's book of Acts, where he was, when he was put on trial, <clears throat> Paul said in Acts 25.11, If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. Although Paul rightly claimed he was innocent, he made it clear that he would accept the death penalty if he had done anything that deserved the death penalty. Which means that Paul believed that some crimes deserved capital punishments. We see Paul reaffirming this again in Romans chapter 13 when he talks about what a good government is supposed to do. He says in Romans 13 verse 4 that government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now think about it. What is the purpose of a sword? It's not to just slap somebody with. It's not just to give someone a little scratch. No, a sword's purpose is to kill. This is a deadly weapon, an instrument of death. And according to Romans 13, the government has the right to bear the sword and carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. In other words, the government has the right and the responsibility to carry out the death penalty. Capital punishment is affirmed throughout the whole Bible. And Genesis 9 shows us the first and most important use of the death sentence. It is to be used on those who murder others. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And folks, this is a really good thing for us. By having this punishment in place, it shows the value of human life. It helps recognize that life is precious and that image bearers of God matter to God. Also, the death penalty rightly discourages people from murdering others. If, if there's no punishment for murder, or if the punishment is very light then people are going to murder more often. But when the consequence for murder is severe, 
When the punishment is death, many people would decide not to commit the crime because they don't want to be executed. In other words, the death sentence for a murder helps protect many people from being murdered. Capital punishment shows people the value of human life and it helps preserve human life by discouraging people from murdering. Thus, this required punishment for murder is a blessing. Now, sadly, we live in a culture that for the most part does not want to receive this divine blessing. Where people have very little respect for human life and who don't value it very highly, that is obvious in our country's unwillingness to execute most murderers. A few weeks ago, the sentencing for the Parkland shooter concluded. In 2018, a young man entered Parkland High School in Florida. He murdered two adults and he murdered 15 teenage students. This was a premeditated, deliberate, unprovoked, wicked slaughter of people. And yet the Parkland shooter was not given the death sentence but was given life in prison. And that is normal for most people who commit murder in this country. Most murderers are not given the sentence that God requires. Even worse than that, our country often does the opposite of punishing murder and instead rewards murder. The mass murder of over a million unborn babies that happens through abortion every year is not only protected by law, but our government gives millions of dollars to abortion organizations that are dedicated to the murder of little children. According to our God, our government should execute every single abortion doctor in our country. And if you're a believer who wants to follow God, then you should also want capital punishment for serial killers like abortionists. Folks, the death penalty for murder is not a, it's not a backward, hillbilly, redneck justice. And it's not something that some right-wing extremist came up with. The death penalty is something that was designed and commanded by the almighty creator of heaven and earth. It is good. It is just. It brings protection to many, and it shows our lost world the value of human life. Since this punishment is a blessing for mankind, we should pray and work for it to be more established in our country, and we should thank God for giving us such clarity and guidance on this issue. Our God, as we have seen, values human life. And we see that re-emphasized in a repeat of a point we saw earlier. When we move to number six, procreation. Procreation. God says to mankind in Genesis 9, verse 7, And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. 
Now, this blessing was already mentioned in verse 1, but it's repeated here in verse 7. God wants to make it crystal clear that he wants mankind to flourish and that he has approved and enabled mankind to procreate on the earth. God has blessed mankind with the ability to have babies. But notice that this is not just a blessing. This is also a command. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. God is telling mankind that this is something he wants them to do, that they must do. This is an order from the creator. Mankind is commanded to have babies. Now, obviously, this is set in the context of the rest of the book of Genesis. And Genesis makes clear that the only people that should be having sex and procreating are those who are married. So if you're not married, this command is not for you. If you're not married, you don't have to follow this command. Also, it is clear from Genesis that some people have physical difficulties that prevent them from having children. And so whether it be infertility, age, or something else, if your body is not allowing you to have children, you don't need to feel guilty about not following this command. If you're married but physically unable to have children, then it's okay to not have children. But since Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 and 7, are commands to mankind to have children, then if you are married, and if you are physically able, God is telling you to have children. Now, the Bible never says how many children you should have. It doesn't mandate a, a number. You could have one children, or you could have what the Rankins have. But if you're married and you are physically able, it is a sin not to have any kids. One of the ways believers obey our God is by bearing fruit and multiplying. But as we talked about back in verse 1, this is a joy-filled blessing. This is not a harsh command. This is like someone commanding you to go out and eat a, a, a chocolate ice cream cone. This is a really good thing. This is a way for God to prosper your family. Having kids is experiencing the favor of God. This is a divine blessing. It is something that God has graciously given to mankind. It is a blessing that most of the adults at our church have enjoyed and continue to enjoy. And for that, we should give thanks. As we wrap things up for today, we need to remember that we don't have a stingy, miserly God, but a God who has blessed all mankind with many things. He has given us life and has caused mankind to, to grow and thrive, giving us the ability to have and enjoy children. He has made mankind the rulers over all other creatures on this planet and has provided us with a great variety of food to enjoy. 
He has given us a prohibition to help us remember God's role as life giver and savior. And he has set up a punishment that shows us the value of human life and helps bring some protection in our sinful world. And not only has God done all of that, but as we mentioned earlier, God sent his only son to die on a cross and rise from the dead so that wicked people, sinful people like us, could trust in Jesus and be eternally forgiven. Our God has blessed us with so many things, and we should rejoice in those blessings and give him thanks. Lord God, we do thank you that you are a God who is so generous. You're a God who is willing to grant messed up sinful people like us so many good blessings. We thank you for that, God. I ask, Lord God, that we would rejoice in those blessings, that we would not see those blessings as curses, that we would not push back against those blessings and be unwilling to obey and follow what, what you have said is good for us. Help us, Lord God, not only to obey these things that we have seen, but to have joy in obeying them, to be thankful that you set these down for our good, that you gave us these things because you wanted to show us your grace. We thank you so much for your willingness to be gracious to us, Lord God. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.